Coming up on Telling the Odds, John Carlo Esposito sheds light on Mandalorian Seasons 3 and 4, some sick new Rise of Skywalker concept art is released, and an exclusive interview with the creator of the Despecialized Editions, Peter Harmy. All that and more coming up now. Hello everybody, welcome back to Telling the Odds. This is episode 18. What are we at now? We're, this is Sunday the 27th of September. This year, I swear to God, has gone fast and slow at the very same time. We're ready to go. Um, we lost it. What's that? We've just been doing podcasts the whole year. We lost the, we lost the rest of it. Yeah, pretty much, exactly. Uh, yeah, for a second when you said we lost it, I thought, is something wrong with the audio? But <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, welcome back, guys. hope you've had a good week. I hope you've had a good week, Michael. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, we actually saw each other face-to-face this week instead of just through a computer screen every Saturday. Um, yeah, because preparing we, in person. Yeah, we had some uh, things we really wanted to get uh, face-to-face with in terms of stuff that we'll be doing this week because we have a great great show for you guys today and i'm very excited to get into it uh but the news uh always comes first so we'll get into that first uh basically yep. what we will start out with getting right into it is um john carlos Pizzito has uh well not really broken his silence he's he's normally very vocal about uh basically everything but uh he's <laughs> shed some light on, on not only mandalorian season three but season four we didn't know that season four was actually coming but he's you know pretty much implied it so you know, with a Star Wars production design behind you, it's pretty easy to get a season four, even if, you know, only the first season was successful. Um, but, that's yeah. Star- but that's Star Wars for you. John uh, Carlos Zito has decided to uh, shed some light with only 34 days left until the release of Mandalorian season two. Uh, yeah, he's begun to shed light on not just the confirmation of season three and four, like we just said, but what we will begin to see from Star Wars' flagship series in the upcoming three seasons. So in an interview with uh, People.com, the link for that will be uh, in the description of this podcast episode. Uh, following the Mandalorian's sweep away at the Emmys, because they were very successful, um, mm. John Carlos Mazzuzzo said that, and I quote, uh, Season 2 is very interesting because we start to find out the power of the child. You will also start to uncover the origins of the Darksaber that Moff Gideon has and how that plays into previous Star Wars history connected to Clone Wars and other shows. And you'll start to get a real dramatic sense of the territory. Okay, uh, well... I, again, it's not a lot of stuff we didn't know, but there's just no, um, yeah. the idea that we were getting to uh, find out more about the the power of the child is interesting because we know that he has the force, obviously. But if he's saying it in this way, like we start to find out the power of the child, it sort of makes me. It, it sort of like you know half validates this theory uh, of mine, or at least the one that I've you know just been circulating around my yeah. brain for God knows how long. Is that <laughs> head Is that you know Yoda's species or the child's species? has like a direct lineage to the force and that's why they are so powerful yeah um, i think that makes sense yeah i mean uh, you know it's interesting about this is like how much has uh john color esposito been told about like the plot of mandalorian going forward yeah i mean like you're like, right only actors tend to not know too much unless it like directly involves their character and helps how they would like view things yeah because yeah. if he's giving confirmations about seasons three and four like it, it like you know if he he, the character who's the actor who's playing Moff Gideon, is you know receiving news about three and four. Then it probably means that he's going to be around for a while because, like you know, because yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not a studio head. But if a certain actor is not going to be around for a certain season of the show, they're probably not going to be as knowledgeable about it as other people. So 
it's clear that Moff Gideon is still going to be part of Mando's story for quite a while. Um, yeah, I think they were definitely building him up to be the big bad guy of the first season. Like, yeah. one, with him, like, having the Darksaber, two, having his origins tied to the Purge of the Mandalorians, and, yeah. like, three, like, kind of, like, building him up with, like, references and stuff. Exactly. I think it's, it's clear he's going to be the, the central antagonist of this series going forward. Yeah, no, definitely. And then when the the cool the other cool thing is is that when he starts to talk about the the um the the dark saber, like I think a while ago, uh, John Carlos the saber, and it's basically you know followed up in very similar words, just paraphrasing a little bit when he says like you know the origins of the dark saber will be explored, yeah, how it plays into previous Star Wars history like the Clone Wars and other shows. And when he says other shows, I can only assume that means Rebels because what other Star Wars shows are there other than, you know, what is it? The Resistance? Uh, no, not... not um, uh, uh, Star Wars Resistance. Star Wars Resistance, yes. I'm sorry, Star Wars yeah. Resistance. Star Wars Resistance, I swear to God, is like the the one, uh, is like the guy who isn't allowed to sit at the lunch <laughs> table. Like... <Yeah. laughs> um, we'll, we'll watch it someday. We'll have to watch it together one day. When yeah. We're... When, when, <laughs> when, 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 when I have like nephews or nieces or whatever and then they're just like oh i want to watch something yeah we can finally get around to watching star wars resistance um but anyway what that probably means is that you know a big part of moff gideon's um you know character in well not only season two but seasons three and four like he's just talked about will start to explore what happened in the gap between when we last saw the dark saber in uh, uh clone wars and then when we last saw it in rebels because the last time you saw it uh, oh, sorry, no, that's, that's, I'm sorry, that's wrong, <laughs> because the last time you saw it in Clone Wars was Maul, and then the first time mm. you saw it in Rebels was Maul, but in Season mm. 7, when you get to see Maul, which is basically the in-between of those two parts of, you know, the chronology, he doesn't have it, so I'm not sure what happened there. No, um, because the- I think the idea is he, uh, when he has it in Rebels, he's on Malachor? Malachor, Mal- yeah, the- that little the temple yeah, that's for himself. Right, and so it's like implying that like he's like I think he's either trapped there or he's like kind of like uh like building the dark side of something in there. But like he's it's like he's not choosing to be there in a way. Whereas in uh solo, he's like still quite high in like notoriety in terms of like the black not the black suns, the uh what the, was the um, Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn. So he's yeah. like a, a mob leader and all that. And so at some point after Clone Wars, when he like has the block dark saber, he goes back and starts to rebuild the uh, the crim- criminal underworld that he's created. Yeah. And so, because yeah, he uses a red lightsaber in yeah. the solo scene we see. Now, I mean, one that could just be because it would be even more confusing for like solo audiences, not only for him to like have uh have, have dust more come back but also just have a black lightsaber they'd be like yeah they'd be so confused like a lot of people only worked out it was more when he ignited his lightsaber exactly yeah um, i mean like that's the thing is that you know those memes where where someone is like standing in front of like a whiteboard with like thousands of algorithms algorithms and they've got like i haven't slept in six weeks eyes because people hmm. people are like you know oh why is more alive and then that meme is supposed to represent a uh, like a clone wars fan who's explaining it to like you know just someone who is like maybe just yeah. a fan of the actual films um i always i always have a laugh with those memes but um basically but, you know it brings up an interesting point like you were just talking about because if you want to get into the complexity of you know maul and what he imply and what his you know uh, uh you know journey uh, implies for the dark saber you're right after he gets away from the crashing republic cruiser that rex and the circle were on he you know, jumps into hyperspace to go 
wherever. And Solo is set 10 years before A New Hope. But Rebels is set only four years before A New Hope. Or at least when we at least when we got to see more for the first time with the Darksaber in Rebels, that was at the end of season two. So it was all about two years before. So basically what that means is after Maul escaped from that cruiser, he spends some time building up his criminal empire again. He becomes the head honcho of Crimson Dawn. And then something, you know, happens. He apparently gets uh, gets stranded on Malachor with the Darksaber. And then, you know, that and then the, the events of seasons three and four play out in um in, in Rebels when you get to see his uh interactions with the Phoenix Squadron and then subsequent death at the hands of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's a very interesting, uh, you know, chronology, not just for Maul, but for the Darksaber as well. And when you get to hear, you know, Moff Gideon talking about, uh, sorry, not Moff Gideon, John Carlos Esposito, well, then again, what is the difference? Uh, you know, there's a, when he talks about how, you know, the previous Star Wars history in Clone Wars and other shows will play a part in what you'll see in season two, I can only assume that will heavily imply, uh, how, uh, it, the Darksaber went from, Bo-Katan's hands at the end of uh, the Darksaber's journey in Rebels to how it got into Moff Gideon's hands. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think if we... I, I, de- I definitely think we'll see um, like the terms of like the purge or whatever, how it left Bo-Katan to him, got to him. Yeah. Um, we might see like kind of origins of how it went around to Ma- like from Maul or whatever. Yeah. So to Maul or whatever. But I, I personally would be most interested in seeing its origin like in live action in terms of the story of the original Mandalorian Jedi. I think that would be very exciting to see. No, you're yeah. right. I mean, like, we've seen very blank snippets of it. It's either been explained to us by Pre Vizsla or explained by, um, you know, the the Mandalorian of Concord Dawn or whatever from Rebels when he has that talk with Kanan when it, like, projects itself onto the wall or whatever. But we haven't actually mm-hmm. seen it properly, which is, you know... Yeah, we've uh, just seen the animation of it. Exactly, which is very exciting. And, uh, yeah, look, if I'm... If I'm making a bet, I'm going to assume that Moff Gideon got the Darksaber during the um, Night of a Thousand Tears or the Mandalorian Purge, because if that's the case, then Bo-Katan probably, like, you know, lost it, maybe only just making it out with her life. And in the aftermath, you know, Moff Gideon takes the Darksaber and now that's why he has it. And if Bo-Katan is going to be in, um, if Bo-Katan is going to be in uh, uh, Mandalorian Season 2, then that'll play into it, you know, heavily, whether or not she... Uh, you know, she probably resents Ma- uh, Moff Gideon a lot, but um, that's a whole other story that we'll be excited to see in Mandalorian. Uh, so that's that's interesting. Uh, but continuing on from season two, John Carlo also commented on not only his own involvement in season three and four, like we were you know talking about, because he probably wouldn't know all this stuff if, if he wasn't in those seasons, um, but also what we can expect as far as answers and the development of the characters we have already come to love from season one. So following on, He said that uh, Mm -hmm. we're living in a universe that is just huge and there's so much to explore. Uh, So I think this show is going to lay the groundwork for the depth and breadth that's going to come in seasons three and four, where you're really going to start to get answers. Now, when he says we're really going to start to get answers, I can only assume that that means you're going to find out who Yoda's species is. But um, yeah, I think that's implied. Yeah. uh, But, you know, who knows what other, you know, you know, plot threads and mysteries they'll be setting up in this next season and the answers to those is also probably what he's talking about. So, so there you go. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we'll get lots of interesting like um, things about the universe that has expanded, how we see the Force or the Mandalorians and all that. But and and that will be interesting. But I think definitely the implication being that the answers we're going to get is learn more about the child and I guess specifically the child and his relation to 
Yoda's species to the Force, I think. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would think so. And, uh, yeah, you know, like, if you're getting a lot of time to, you know, from seasons one, two, three, and four, uh, it gives a lot of time for not only the characters to develop, but, you know, the, to, uh, for the child to develop literally he's gonna get older and he's gonna start to speak and uh, uh i guess how, it depends how big the time jump is because he hasn't gotten that much older in 50 years that's true that's very true i mean like I, unless, I, unless I he's 50 years a baby and then like in three years he becomes an adult yeah no you're you're, <laughs> you're right on that front like i've i've started to see you know youtube articles and youtube uh videos already that say like oh uh will we see baby yoda create his own lightsaber I'm like, <laughs> okay um that's sort of be like giving a uh you know, uh, yeah. yeah, like a, like a cat, a gun or something. <laughs> but, At this point, we've had to see him form his own sentences. So yeah, that's true. I mean, like we've already seen that he's very, very powerful with the force. I mean, nearly killed Cara Dude with a force stroke. So I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, because that's another thing is that like you know, a force choke, as to my knowledge, is something that you would sort of need to know exists before doing it. So like I don't know. I mean like. Uh, He's been a lot. He's been around for fifty years. You know what happened to the child before Mando found him. I, I it's it, these are all yeah. these are all questions that's that like true. that he like might learn his origin. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, look, with Dave Filoni and John Favreau in charge, it's clear. That, you know, they are fans of the prequels, and they actually mm. acknowledge their relevance, unlike a couple of other people. Um, so you know, <laughs> it's interesting to you know think how that would come into come into play because you know you don't get direct connections like seeing death watch in the mandalorian's eighth episode if you don't have people like john favreau and dave filoni at the helm so um that's interesting but we have you know getting back to what everything john carlos Mazzito has said like this everything he says creates this kind of like branch off conversation so um as as you're seeing right now but there you go um so yeah i mean like (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure what else we could say. I mean, like, it's very interesting to hear how he has sort of be able to shed some light on season three and four. And I'm excited because we're going to get answers and those answers I'm sure will be um, uh, gratifying. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that is that. Bit of Next news. piece of news. That is that news story. Thank you, John Carlos Mazzino, for your contribution to the news. Uh, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. Uh, so next news <laughs> yeah. story. He's a regular listener. Yeah. Um, so yeah, our next, uh, news story is not a story, but it's actually just some, uh, cool images that were released this week, um, of some Rise of Skywalker concept art that we hadn't received up to this point. Like I've seen the Skywalker legacy documentary and they do show some concept art of like, you know, when Kylo first meets the emperor and what the death star was originally going to look like when it's crash landed on the Kefbia ocean. But this is something we didn't see. And it's actually Ray surrounded by like a hundred plus stormtroopers with Kylo Ren behind them. And uh, yeah, uh, just an incredible demonstration of Rey's uh, force ability as she pushes them all over, basically incapacitating every single one of them. It immediately reminded me of the, um, you know, the original, original Star Wars cartoon, uh, Clone Wars cartoon, the 2D one, where uh, I think it's Yoda or Mace Windu, um, you know, they take on like a thousand battle droids at the same time and they force push them yes. like ease. It very much reminded me of this, but yeah, it's, it's obviously the same with, it's, Yeah, it's the same with Mace Windu where he's like fighting all of the super battle droids and he like pushes them all away. Yeah. And he also like takes them out with like his bare hands. Yeah. Hey, remember when Yoda said that a Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense but never for attack? 
Yeah. Yeah, but then the Clone Wars arrived. They became Jedi generals. Wah, wah. <laughs> no, uh, I think it makes sense, though, because, like, at that point, the Jedi are a little bit uh, lost, uh, far gone, one Lost their say. way, very true. Um, yeah. And so Yoda, like, later on, he's, like, looks back and's like, okay, so don't do what we do, but do what I say. Exactly. When I, when I... Um, yeah, well, okay, first of all, they say that, the, that these concept art images were based on a, um, a, a desolate planet. But to me, it honestly looks a very much like Coruscant, to tell you the truth, because, and, and I'll tell you why, not only do the cities... The city buildings in the background look similar, even though it's not as densely populated as the Coruscant cityscape was. But uh, if mm-hmm. you look at the third image, which is basically from above, um, she's at the she's at the top of a set of like you know grand stairs, and I'm thinking that this is um, sort of extrapolated from the very early um, uh, concept for the for Colin Trevorrow's script when he had the heroes going back to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Because be. I'm thinking not I... only do these stairs look very similar, but if you look to the far right on the first two images right above Ray's head when she's got her arms like pushed out by using the force, she looks to be, yep. you know, standing next to what I can only assume is like the foot of a pretty large statue. And as we know about the Jedi Temple on either side of the top of the grand staircase, there are two huge statues of like monolithic Jedi. So my yeah, idea... It, it was that in very early ideas for whether it be Duel of the Fates, whether it be for Rise of Skywalker, you know, there was concept art of Rey at uh, the Jedi Temple, which is really interesting because that would have been my first choice if I was writing the Rise of Skywalker script. But um, yeah, that's an interesting It, it could be because, um, yeah, I, I definitely do see that. Although I think, because it's like, it's clear that like when she pushes people away, she's like not only pushing the stormtroopers, but there's like dust as well that yeah. she like pushes with them. So it's like it's clearly like a, an abandoned place. Yeah. Um, and and I guess the buildings in the back, like they do, kind of look like buildings. But I I don't know if I would necessarily say it's Coruscant, and that might just be due to the artistic style of the concept art. Yeah. Like, trying to get the vibe of like being abandoned and ancient. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I think I personally would see it more as definitely like a city like planet, like like Coruscant, where it's like a city. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I see it more as like an oh that was fun. I see it more as like an abandoned uh, city, like planet, like where it, like it's like an ancient Jedi temple. Maybe more similar to what we got in Rise of Skywalker with the, uh, what was the planet then? Uh, Exegol. That's yes, Exegol. Very true. Um, I don't yeah. know. I, it's like especially with like how like it's entirely like covered in fog or something similar to that. Yeah, the, because that's another thing is I always wondered what happened to Coruscant after the prequels because it's. It's sort of expanded on in, you know, um, you know, legends or what have you, where yeah. you know the emperor. This, a bit yeah, well, the, it was still the capital of the of the empire. It was and, up and, until it was taken in the Battle of Coruscant, yeah. in which they then decided to then move the capital of the New Republic around every couple of years. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, you're right because after the uh, the the Jedi fell, and the Empire rose to power. The Emperor turned the Jedi Temple into his, you know, own imperial palace. Um, yep. But, you know, I would have been interested to see what happened to, you know, not only Coruscant, but the Jedi Temple itself yeah, at definitely. the time of the sequel. And we were talking about it uh, earlier this week, Michael, and we'll sort of sort of maybe maybe mention it when we get into our sequel retrospective uh, episodes. But um, I started to, just because, you know, I'm a you know fan of not only mm. Star Wars, obviously, but like, you know, writing scripts and stuff. I've done that in the past. I actually started working on like just re- rewrites and tweaks for, you know, the, the sequels and the way that I think they would have maybe 
you know, been better, but that's, of course, in my opinion. Um, mm. I still would have had us going back to uh, uh, Coruscant and meet what was uh, what you would see as a deserted Jedi temple um, because, you know, I sort of had an idea that, like, you know, once the Empire was gone, the Coruscant would not, right, you're right, be held up to the uh, capital of the New Republic, but it might still be, you know, looked after. But then, um, oh, definitely. yeah, it's got trillions of lives there. Exactly. But then when, you know, the New Republic is eviscerated and then sort of Snoke takes over, like, you know, what would he have done to the, to uh, Coruscant after that? What would he have done to what was basically the last memory of the old Jedi? Um, I don't know, because that's another thing. After the Empire fell, they wouldn't keep it as the Imperial Palace. If I was thinking that, you know, and I can, and I can only speak logically that if the New Republic wanted to, um, not only tear down the Imperial Palace, but at the same time honor the Jedi, they might have been able, they might have, you know, took it upon themselves to restore it, refurbish it, maybe keep it as like a, not an actual place for, you know, Jedi to live and, you know, coexist, but maybe as like a museum, a Jedi museum. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> Here's where the dead Jedi are. Like, yeah, they don't uh, pick up, a, they don't pick up a single body. Uh, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, like, I would have liked to see like huge force feats like this one because we did get to see you know healing and Ray use force lightning, but um, the, this would have been interesting to see. I gotta say, yeah, um, yeah, and it's interesting. And uh, less 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 Wookie kill fake outs with this. Yes, that's true. I mean, again, we'll get into all of that in our retrospective episodes, but there you go. Uh, yeah, and that is basically that's um, again not really a story, just some cool images to talk about in. Uh, Interesting spark of discussion. Yes, basically what could have been. Uh, yes, <laughs> they'll they'll be the they'll be the spark. The, those photo images will be the spark that lights the discussion that will bring interest to the oh, entire podcast. God. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's a good way to wrap it up, Michael. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So basically, our last story of the day before we get into some very cool stuff is um, a movement that StarWars.com has basically released uh, that will be active in a couple of weeks. It's just basically called Mando Mondays. Uh, it's basically a, an action figure line. And, you know, we just wanted to talk about it because that's something that Michael and I have, you know, been interested in since we were kids. Uh, you know, since the release of Mandalorian Season 1, uh, I'm sure all the actors and people involved will be very excited to hear that they've been turned into action figures. Because personally, if I was ever in a Star Wars film, I would collect literally every piece of merchandise related to me and just have yeah. it everywhere. Like if I turned into an action figure, I would go nuts. But um, yeah. yeah, they've released what's called a Mando Mondays line where, you know, Mandalorian has been turned into an action figure, Cara Dune, IG-11, uh, the heavy the heavy infantry Mandalorian that was voiced by John Favreau and had a jetpack and uh, mm. um, one of the Imperial death troopers that lined that huge armada that faced them on, on, uh, on Navarro. Um, yep. again, it's not really a, a new story with a lot of, you know, juicy content to, uh, pick apart. We just thought we'd mention it because it's cool. And, uh, you know, we like action figures. So, you know, I, they, do. they look very pretty. I do. I really love the, I think you were talking about it just before we came on, Michael, was that that stark, con the, the stark contrast of like the really vibrant colors on that you see on them. Um, yeah. that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I think they're like leaning into the fact that they're like, like that kind of 70s vibe of like their action figures with yeah. like kind of more contrasty like a like toy toyfications of the film on, on film appearances yeah it's like the original i like i don't have the original but i have like uh like a thing inspired by the original um greedo uh 
uh, Ponda Baba and Hammerhead figures where they like oh, gave them fantastic. like really like bright colors like blues and and like and like oranges like browns and stuff. It's great. Yeah, like, no, it would be my like the, it would be my yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, it would be my dream to one day own the um you know the vintage nineteen seventy seven action figures just as collectibles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, I'm just happy to see that Kenner is still releasing action figures even after the cessation of the sequel trilogy because, um, you know... Is this Kenner? I thought, I thought Hasbro owns it. No, no, this is Kenner. If you look on those packages, it says Kenner at the bottom. Oh, my God. It oh, you know what? I think it does. It's because they went bankrupt when they were, like, bought by Hasbro or something. Yeah. No, I mean, like, Kenner is... I mean, Kenner is Kenner. Kenner is... Uh, just got such an amazing uh, history with Star Wars and, the you know, the, the merchandise um and that's awesome like i still am a huge fan of the action figures like just this week i actually took out all my action figures because i hadn't you know you know uh uh well i i don't mind saying played with them in a while uh but uh yeah i took them out they were starting yeah, to they're owned by Hasbro. so i was like you know starting to clean it up and all that stuff and um i own a lot of them you know i've got Khan, i've got chewy and i've actually got a legacy collection of Liam falcon which is maybe one of my my prized possessions which i'm never going to get rid of and i realized mm. that i don't have c3po or leia and i almost and i almost immediately got into a okay where can i buy them online frenzy because i just like <laughs> yeah, to yeah. have the full set you gotta get the, the crew you gotta get the crew from the empire strikes back exactly that's why i want the full crew because i've got yoda i've got r2 i've got luke and i've basically got everyone except c3po and and i'd like to get a darth vader as well and maybe a boba fett and now that these ones are released i'd love to have a what about what about um, Obi Wan? Yes, of course. I mean, I've got a Clone Wars Obi Wan. I don't have an original Obi Wan. Oh, right. I'd love to get yeah. one, but you know, I don't have one. Uh, and as for these action figures, I mean, I'd like to have all of them. I'd like to have as many action figures like, as I can get my hands on. But yeah, um, there you yeah, go. Yeah. How, do you That's have? A, a... I know that you have a huge collection of, of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I don't I don't tend to collect the action figures as much. I tend to go for the Lego ones because like one, it's more yeah. fun to like build, but also they like I like the displays because you can have like spaceships and stuff a bit bigger because like spaceships and things for like action figures just in terms of the scales just get huge so yeah no. i prefer it when you can have the, the spaceships and yeah stuff, you're so. right. i mean that's another thing just don't like you know don't crank me out for lego i've got star wars lego coming out of my ears i've got a <laughs> right obviously you guys won't be able to see it but i've got a lego death star right off to my left right now and i spend a lot of time just looking at it because it's such a prominent place in my room have you <laughs> have you recreated um, the uh the spider-man uh scene spider-man scene the, the uh the uh what's it called tom holland uh spider-man oh, homecoming scene. right yeah, um if i if 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 myself or anyone decided to smash the death star that i have <laughs> that has been literally in the same place since i was uh what would it be grade five is when i got it for my birthday probably it's, it's been, been a it's while been, it's been there for over I, 10 I years you used to record you used to record videos and i would see it in the background if anyone would could would smash it i would be like can you please just leave and never return? <laughs> that, that's the, that's the uh, breaking point of the of them being in your life. <laughs> exactly. But then again, like, you know, it's been there for so long that I would honestly love to be able to build it from scratch, but it means I'd have to tear it mm. apart and that would sort of like break me. So I can't really do that. Um, You're tearing me apart. <laughs> <laughs> the first, the room reference on Telling the Odds, Michael, I, I yeah. take my hat off to you. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um <laughs> Was this news? Are we talking about news? I think so, yeah. Or we can just talk about the room for the next hour. Uh, 
that's that's the that's the uh 69th episode special yeah uh yeah so there you go guys uh a new set of mandalorian action figures make sure to get your hands on them if you want them because i imagine that these will sell out fast i believe some of them already sold out even though it's here it's even now only in the pre-order stage um okay guys so that wraps up the news for today i really hope you enjoyed but we have got an epic epic main discussion for you michael don't we yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, basically, we got the huge privilege to sit down with the creator of the despecialized edition of the Star Wars original trilogy, uh, Peter Harmy. We and we uh, set up a lot of questions for him because we were really interested to know about the um, complexity of creating the despecialized edition, uh, the massive relevance that it's had on the Star Wars community as a whole in not a very uh, you know long uh, bit of time. And uh, yeah, we were very excited to talk to him. When we found out that we were going to get the chance to talk to him, we were really, really excited. And uh, yeah, I really hope you enjoy the interview and uh, future us, take it away. Since the release of Star Wars in 1977 and the subsequent release of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, it's become one of the best trilogies of all time. And yet as far back as the early 90s to now, new dialogue, scenes and alterations to sound design, to name a few, are still made to the theatrical versions of the films in what is now known as the specialized editions. With the widespread consensus being these editions do very little but subtract from the original quality of the films, it's been the work of Star Wars fans for years to get Lucasfilm to release the original versions in a watchable format. And despite their subsequent refusal, fans of the original trilogy are now able to watch the theatrical versions of the films whenever they wish and as many times as they would like, all thanks to the long hours spent by our guest today and the creator of the despecialized editions, uh, Peter Harmy Harmacek. I hope I'm saying your last name right, uh, Harmy, but uh, we're so happy to have you on. Hey, glad to be here, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, we, we've already introduced ourselves. I am already a very proud owner of the... Um, of the Blu-rays of the Despecialized Editions, and it was an incredibly simple and easy process, and I've now got them to keep in my Blu-ray collection for uh, forever, and uh, they look very they look very comfortable mm. there. Um, Excellent. But uh, how are you? How are you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, thank you. A, a little bit under yeah. under awesome. the weather, but uh, nothing. Oh right. Nothing yeah. awful. Hope it's uh, what is it? Hopefully, it's not the yeah, virus. It's okay. you know? <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, how yeah. is, it? is it? Yeah, I hope you're doing okay. Czech is the way you are. Yeah, yeah, Czech Republic. In, in Prague, right? Uh, is it, yeah. You guys doing all right? Um, well, we we do have a second wave, but it's uh, so far it's we didn't have a lot of deaths or anything. So yeah. Okay, that's very good. Um, and uh, and already I'm sure we both very much approve of all the Star Wars memorabilia you've got in the yeah. background. Yeah. Uh, that's honestly my ideal setting for a podcast like this. But um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, I mean. What, what's it been like for you, the reception of the Despecialized Edition, since you let out the first um, versions of them? Well, a little bit shocking, honestly. Like, I, you know, I uh, I was on this uh, Star Wars forum uh, where we were just uh, discussing the original versions and how to get them. And uh, when I made made my first Despecialized version, uh, I just shared it with a couple of people on the forum. And it sort of grew from there and people were sharing it amongst themselves and putting it on other sites and stuff. And uh, with version two, I uh, was I was getting, you know, thousands of people asking for links. And uh, yeah, it was was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. The reception for it's been magnificent. And like I was reading actually like I think it was like a YouTube 
uh, comments on one of the YouTube videos that is about the Specialized Edition and I actually realized that it is being used as the reference for the Star Wars original trilogy by film professors and film schools when they're talking about Star Wars. Yeah. That's just, I'm, I'm very Love happy it. that people who are studying Star Wars now actually have an HD version of the original theatricals to, to study. Uh, which is just yeah, it's, um, I'm sure it's great for you to hear, but it's just very yeah. you know wholesome for someone like me to hear because I'm already such big fans of being able to watch you know Han shoot first and only first in, yeah. in HD quality. But, yeah, yeah, I'm um, I'm glad this really is yeah. a perfect fulfill fulfillment of the original goal, which was to preserve the original versions for the new generations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, I was talking about this uh, uh, the the other day with Hello Greedo on his podcast, and uh, there, there was, uh, uh, I heard there was this talk that uh, some uh, ILM people gave uh, about how they did the original models and original optical effects, and behind them on the screen they were showing the CGI from 1997. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, so this, this okay. is uh, this is something I consider really terrible because uh, for me those original effects they were so groundbreaking and uh, yeah, that's amazingly so done yeah. that it's just a crime to replace them with CGI, which frankly is nothing super special these days. So exactly, yeah. I watched the intro, yeah, the D specialized edition, especially the part where it's talking about how they were like honored in like the American like film, uh, mm. like uh, theater. I can't remember the specific thing it was, but the fact that that they requested from Disney the original versions, but Disney would only give or, yeah. or Lucasfilm would only give them the uh special editions it's just insane yeah. to me i could not believe that they that. have there but they wouldn't give them the, the older versions of like in a preserving yeah. historical sense that doesn't make any sense yep yeah and that's that you're absolutely right michael and i was actually you were just talking about how groundbreaking the you know 1977 special effects were as they were you know put out to the public and when I was watching the the, the despecialized edition for the original Star Wars in 1977, so, so much of the effects are how I've always seen them in the copies that I've owned before, that it shows like they were really that good back in the 70s. So it, it's just, yeah, and I, it begs the question why you would need feel the need to change it. But, um, but anyway, I was actually uh, wondering, uh, Hami, I understand that as part of your master's degree in English and American culture studies, yeah. the cultural impact of Star Wars the cultural impact of Star Wars formed the basis for your undergraduate thesis. It's true, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, great. so yeah, yeah. So I was just curious, like, what was it about Star Wars and Star Wars specifically that made you see it as such a, a footnote in film culture, and just made you think, yes, I have to write about Star Wars above everything else. I need to write about Star Wars for, in terms of cultural impact on American film. Uh, well, it it was more. Uh effect than cause like uh the the cause really was that i was already a huge star wars fan so i wanted to write about star wars so i found a way to fit yeah. it into uh <laughs> something i could i could write my thesis about um but yeah i i do think that star wars is a is a very important mi milestone in modern american culture and uh indeed uh you know uh of the whole world right now because uh we do live in a global in global time so yeah um you know it's it has changed uh how films were made 
at that time because uh when you look at the at the movies in the 70s they were all like dreary uh you know dramas and stuff and here comes this film that was like a light-hearted adventure in space and from then on everybody was doing that yeah no that's i that's completely right like you know i i think i was watching the uh original star wars documentary um that has many like you know you know snippets with you know a young george lucas in it he was talking about the the fact that the vietnam war was going on so much of film had become about like you know serious serious subject matter that people hadn't been able to go to the movies just for a good time Mm -hmm. in so long so yeah no that i that's completely understandable Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Plus, another thing I was talking about in my thesis was that uh, was the sources that Lucas used uh, as inspiration for his script, and of course, uh, that was mythology. And it was not only uh, the classical mythology, but also uh, American mythology, which is Western. And Star Wars basically is a Western in space, at least the first part, anyway. Like you know, the most icely stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh so that's also why it struck such a strong uh chord with the the American audiences probably. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I think now right, at yeah. this point Styles has become such a huge cultural phenomenon that it's basically its own mythology in terms of the cultural mm. impact it's have, even oh, in absolutely. places like for us in Australia, which is pretty much one of the furthest places from America you can get. But yeah. Yeah, so basically, yeah. um, we're wondering what was the tipping point at which you, uh, at any point in time when you were given, you were like, all right, I'm, I, you're not next. I'm going to make the despecialized edition. So basically, hmm. uh, at what point did you decide enough's enough? I'm done waiting for Disney to do it. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> or not um, Lucasfilm at that point. Yeah, at that point, it wasn't Disney. Yeah, but um, well, actually, the, the tipping point was uh, that somebody else has done it. Oh, really? Uh, in that way, but they only did it in DVD quality. Ah. Uh, there's this uh, pretty famous fan editor uh, called Adiwan, uh, and he did uh, the. Yes. Uh, yeah. You probably heard uh, it... the. Yeah, the 4K 77, right? The 4K 77. Uh, no, no, no. He did. Uh, right? Oh, I'm I'm spacing out on the on the name. Uh, Revisited. He That's did okay. Star Wars Revisited, right. which is. Uh, right. Which is like a super special edition. Uh, he he added more vi- new visual effects and stuff. Oh, he added to uh, it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but also like removed some of the more offensive changes right. from the special editions. But you know, uh, changed, uh, right. fixed a lot of continuity errors and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, and it's actually kind of amazing. Like uh, you know, in uh, the the thing is, I I have. I don't have anything against the special editions existing. The problem I have is that they uh, erase the original versions from, or try to erase the original versions yeah. from existence. It's uh, like you, you get director's cuts of a lot of other films and they happily coexist with the original versions. Uh, so if, if this was done for Star Wars, I would have no problem with the special editions. So what 81 has done is basically the special edition as it should have been. No unnecessary changes, but, you know, uh, a spruced up visual, basically. Um, but he also, in the process of making, uh, making uh, revisited Empire Strikes Back, uh, and he was, uh, you know, working on removing actually some of the uh, some of the changes 
made for the special edition. Uh, right. In that process, he he created a DVD version of uh, The Empire Strikes Back that was uh, like, you know, there, there were at this time, uh, Lucasfilm released the original versions on DVD, but they were non-anamorphic old masters from Laserdisc. Right. Yeah. Uh, so those were... Yeah, I, I have those. <laughs> yeah. They, they yeah, were um, masters yeah, no, uh, from 1993, right? So th those were really crappy. Uh, so he created a DVD version that was anamorphic, uh, used HD sources. But so I was begging with him because at that time I was just getting into uh, HD and Blu-ray. So I was be begging if he could make uh, an HD version because I knew majority of his sources were actually HD. And he said it wouldn't mesh well with the DVD sourced uh, stuff. So I, I took his version and used that as a source for me to make my first despecialized version. Um, basically what he told me, like I, I, I was I was telling him like it, it would still work in HD. And basically what he told me, like, if you're so clever, why don't you do it yourself? <laughs> so I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I own those limited edition uh, DVDs that have like the theatrical versions on the, on like disc two. Yeah. And I remember because I, I've had them for years. So when I used to have like a smaller, you know, standard definition AV TV, yeah. um, I would watch them and they would take up the whole screen because of the format that my TV was in. Yeah. But then when I, I think I took it over to a friend's house and he had an HD TV and I was like, we've got to watch this. It's the original versions as it appeared in 77. Mm. So he chucked it in and it appeared as this little small box and... You know, I, at the time I had no idea, but then after like, you know, figuring out all yeah. the stuff about it being non-anamorphic from like 1993, it all makes so much sense. And it, yeah. all, it, it almost made me more like frustrated that it's never been released in, in proper quality. And yeah. that stuff that you were talking about, you know, with the special editions, um, I never actually really thought of it that way is that they're not only, you know, releasing the special editions, but they're trying to make it so that they basically erase the originals and are the only formats you can get which is a really you know um interesting way to look at it yeah. but uh yeah absolutely and you you sort of uh already spoke to this but like you know if you were to take us through the process like how long did it take to complete the first comprehensible versions of it that you like sent out into that forum you were talking about before it really got let out into the world uh yeah like the the first the very first version didn't take a long time at all because uh like i said i was already using 81s version so apart from a few shots i basically was just cutting back and forth uh between the upscaled 81 version and the uh, and the hd version uh but then i right. for for the next version i wanted to uh, increase the quality uh so i started playing around with visual effects software and uh putting uh you know trying to erase the changes at HD quality wherever possible. Um, like you have to use visual effects to erase the bad visual effects from the original. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the sweet irony of that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it would take me a, a few months at the time um, to finish one version uh, because, you know, I was, uh, I was in college and I had a lot of free time. Um, so, and I, I used a lot of that free time <laughs> <laughs> working on despecialized you used it wisely uh, yeah 
So yeah, and, we, uh, we yeah, and uh, I remember, you know, my uh, my parents telling me like, uh, why why are you you know wasting your time on this <laughs> uh, on this crap? You should be studying. <laughs> and and now, of course, uh, that's what I do for a living. So yeah. so it was a yeah. wise choice. No, I, <laughs> I I think the entire Star Wars fandom would be able to uh, say to your parents, uh, don't worry, he was doing literally everyone a favor yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that's that's really really fascinating yeah so basically we're wondering what source whether it be the blu-ray or the limited edition non on anamorphic theatrical version proves to be the most vital in completing them so basically what out of all the different sources you collated to put mm. into the final version that you have so far the current version you have uh, what yeah. proved to be the most valuable for you well i would still have to say the uh, official blu-ray because that's still like not uh you know 90 well in the case of star wars more like 80 percent of the movie ha yeah. has remained unchanged so uh yes so that's that makes up uh 80 of the of the finished uh despecialized edition uh and of course the second most important source would be uh the non-anamorphic dvd which i uh, had to have to use at the time hmm. uh, now of course uh, the fan community has moved on uh, and as technology has improved and become more uh, easily available to the public uh, we now have actual 4k scans of uh, film prints wow. from 1977 um, now of course these are uh, prints that were shown in theaters uh, which a makes them really dirty and beat up because that you know the more popular the film the more beat up the prints because they were shown over and over again, um, and also uh, the prints that were actually shown in theaters were like fourth generation removed from the original negatives. You have the original negative, the film that's in camera on set, and then from that you make a, a a bit of copy, which because uh, uh, every time you copy a, a film, you invert it. So from the negative, you have to create positive. But in order to create positive prints, you then have to create an inter-negative, uh, and then uh, from that you you create your prints. Right. So that's four generations of added grain and uh, lost quality. So it loses quality each each copy. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, even though they're uh, scanned at four K uh their actual resolution is still more like 1080p or something um but they're they are way 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 better than the uh official dvds yeah so. yeah yeah no i mean i when i owned the blu-ray versions of the you know the blu-ray versions that lucas and disney film would, would, would have you own essentially yeah uh you know i watch them and i'm look and i think so much of it is 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 beautiful and in such good quality if there's only like you said that 20 percent that i could just uh, and now i can so yeah it's, it's really gratifying to be able to do that now and obviously we have we have you to thank for that and um understandably right the the special edition changes aren't just localized to individual scene changes like you know changing the look of an emperor or having han shoot second or you know having massive dinosaurs walk through the frame of moss Eisley. um but because they also extend to more broad issues like yep. how John Williams scores sometimes it's just like completely drowned out by some, you know, sound design re-edits, what have you. Yep. So I was wondering, like, in your opinion, what is the special edition change that you, like, 
out of all of them, you think really devalues the original releases um, the most, like the one that really, yeah. the, the really, that really gets you if you were to see it again. Uh, yeah, for me personally, uh, it's the changes that uh, put in stuff from other films, the, namely the prequels, of course. Uh, and, uh, it, right. and here's the thing, like, I don't hate the prequels. Uh, I actually, you know, I still grew up with the prequels, but I just don't like them as much as the originals. Um, so, uh, so, so when I watch the originals, I, I prefer uh, to not be reminded of the prequels. <laughs> Uh, yeah. For me, the, the worst change uh, is the uh, the change where they uh, put uh, put Hayden Christensen as the Force <laughs> Ghost in Return of the Jedi. Um, yeah, yeah. We were um, just talking about that last week. Yeah, because like you know we we, we apparently you know the the reason they've given to that, and I was even listening to it on the commentary on the Despecialized, is you know George Lucas says that it. it you know, Anakin looks like Hayden Christensen because it was the last time he was on the light and he was a Jedi. But it's also, you know, not because yeah, yeah. he saved his son when he was dying. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, it's not even a oh, yeah, and good you, performance by Hayden Christensen. He kind of looks like scowling around, like he's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's doing that. He's doing that weird Padme glare. It's, yeah. it's really odd. I'm not. I'm not even. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not even sure they told him what he was shooting. They probably just took some outtake from Episode Three and put his head on there. <laughs> Yeah. Like, um, George Lucas had his like iPhone out when like when when Hayden Christensen was like out on his front lawn going to get the paper. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but I do understand what you mean when they say like completely new prequel additions to the originals when like you know when they have the celebratory thing that occurs right before the <laughs> party and yeah. you you get to hear a Gungan say we sub free. I'm like oh, I mean, oh no, I mean, yeah exactly you, you get. <laughs> It, yeah it's jar jar you know they they don't yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just they put jar jar in return of the jedi oh, and yeah. i think uh, yeah. and you know what what uh what i hate about the, those changes is and uh then you know on the blu-ray they added the no to to the yep. scene where vader oh, you know throws yeah. the emperor down the uh, the shaft and uh for, to me this feels like uh lucas just is saying f you to the fans <laughs> <laughs> like that everybody was laughing at the no in uh episode three and everybody hated yeah. jar jar so what he what did he do he put it in return of the jedi both think, of those things. yeah i think jar jar was actually in return of the jedi before he was in phantom menace uh i think because that was the wasn't that the first appearance of naboo no, no, no. They, they this, uh, that, that's the the. Uh, they changed this scene for 1997, and they then they changed it again in 2004 for the DVD. Ah, so that's okay. when that's when they added Naboo and Jar Jar to. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Return of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, I, 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 I think I'll know the answer to this question, but have you seen the Disney Plus version <laughs> yes. of of A New Hope? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, um, well, actually, I uh, I have the uh, 4K Blu-rays, which are the the same versions. Yeah, and right, yeah, um, um, there's, there's yeah it's so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my god! What? I, yeah. I I just love the idea. I mean, this may or may not be true, but like Disney was like, "All right, we bought Star Wars. Take a here, give us to us, give it the uh, copy to us." And George is like, "All right, but I do have a special present for you." It's like the only version yeah. he gave them was the one with McClunky, <laughs> and it's like yeah. you have to put this on there, or it's no deal. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, just wait uh, for like five uh, years when, when Disney will have made it that Han doesn't shoot at all or something. Or... <laughs> he just dodges yeah. and the, the bullet bounces back and hits Greedo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, the, the the way this uh, actually uh, happened, I think, was they they were uh, getting ready to do three uh, D three uh, D conversions of of all the Star Wars films. Yeah. Uh, but because Phantom Menace yes. didn't do very well, they uh, they scrapped the idea. But they already pre prepared the masters back in I don't know when when this was 2011 or 2012 yeah. just before the Disney sale so what what they put on the UHD blu-rays was the versions that uh, Lucas already made for the 3d releases uh, uh, which is also uh, a reason which is also a reason why uh, uh, wh why uh, we get the uh, the 4K versions we got because they they are really heavily degrained, yeah. which uh, does make sense for 3D because grain can be uh, can be really distracting in 3D. Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, so so again, like we we finally get a, a new release of Star Wars, and uh, it's just screwed up in other ways. You know, they uh, yeah. they, they never get this. They can never get this right. Like the the original Blu-rays. Uh, were okay for their time in terms of like detail and stuff, but they they had really screwed up colors. Uh, yeah. Now they finally give us a release that has decent colors, but then it's DNR all the way to hell, you know, digital <laughs> re reduction. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. uh, it, and they the the color grading uh, that they did uses a lot of power windows, which means like yeah, they select an area of the screen. That, and give it a different color grading than another uh, area. So there's yeah. a lot of problem with this release as well. And I, uh, uh, I guess uh, you you were going to ask this about this in a, <laughs> a later question. But I am working on a new version now yeah. because we have the UHD Blu-ray and we have the uh, 4K uh, scans of the prints. But it's it's going to yeah. be a really difficult job to uh, actually get the new Blu-rays to to work with uh, the specialized for those reasons. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Yeah. interesting that um, all of these details in the uh, Disney Plus and 4K Blu-ray versions that I guess me and Jack would never have noticed that we like we only noticed the obvious like McClunky, but like yeah. someone who's just spent like hours of uh, hundreds like however many hundreds of hours probably uh, close to your life just like ch editing and changing all these minute yeah. details, you would know all about the these small things. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, you know, I uh, I rely on other people for this. Like I. Oh, like, uh, I uh, there, there are you know people comparing frame by frame each yeah. version, and then then they report back to me like, <laughs> well, not personally, like they have their own you know threads on the forum, and uh, I can go there and read about the the changes that they found. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so um, basically, our next question is: upon like revisiting the despecialized editions, so for example, when you moved from version one point six to two point seven, mm -hmm. which uh, Jack now owns, uh, so what were the main points of concern for you? So, like, what was the most important thing that you needed to like improve from from one version to the other? So, was it like for mm -hmm. uh, sound design, color grading, like fine tuning things, things like that? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, uh, sound is a chapter of of its own. I don't actually do sound. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. A, I'm not very good with sound. Uh, yeah. So uh, I I just again use other people's work. 
namely a guy who calls himself Harry Han on the on the forum uh and he he created yeah. these uh amazing recreations of the original uh of the original soundtracks and there there were already three different audio mixes uh in theaters in 1977 uh so i have recreations or restorations of all of them on the specialized um so basically what i'm doing is editing the video to match the sound yeah um and uh uh your question was um Oh, the question was basically uh, from changing from one version to another. Sorry right. The, the, what? What I? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, as a you know, as my skills improved on the visual effects side, I was able to just remove the uh, remove the changes more effectively and with in better quality. Yeah. So uh, basically, those are the main changes. Then, of course, color correction is always. Uh, is always an issue because like i said the uh the old blu-rays had really screwed up colors um this is like the one with the so I, I had to do i had to do a, a scene by scene sometimes shot by shot color correction of the whole film uh to make it look like it did in theaters but then uh, this is always a hotly debated issue because some people uh you know say it looked like this some people say it looked like this then you you use then your best bet is to use some sort of color reference right. but the problem with that is that uh when you scan in uh, a film it never the colors never come out exactly as they are on the film you have to color correct the scan so then you never know if the if the scan is corrected perfectly to the print yeah, yeah. so uh and uh, you know ev uh, opinions on uh, uh on what the film or, or what the color grading should be like uh differ greatly you know so it's uh yeah, i i just have to do it as best as i can from my point of view. And then I know some people say, I, I don't watch the despecialized edition or I, I watch version 1.0 over <laughs> 2, 2.0 because I like the colors better, even though like the quality of the despecialization is way worse, but, uh, and not only the quality yeah. of the despecialization, but also because back then I was using some uh, older software and stuff, the actual quality of the video got I better with each version yeah yeah well i mean like I, I i mean michael sort of mentioned it i do own the latest version of the despecialized editions and i must say they they look brilliant so if anyone who is listening who does have an earlier version i would implore you to uh upgrade but uh, yeah um but yeah uh, i guess our next question would be like you know you're what are you working on now because as well as sharing your constant work on you know uh version three and you've done a lot of you know color grading videos because I've, I've been to your youtube channel hmm. and all that stuff but uh in being on your YouTube channel, I saw that you, you know you, you do a lot of vlogging and some filmmaking of your own. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What do you what do you got going on? So you can sort of share it here. Uh, yeah, I've been. Uh, you know, I uh, uh, I, I got some new <laughs> new hobbies, which uh, unfortunately also part of the reason why uh, the new version of Star Wars is taking longer. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I got a I, I, I got a DSLR camera uh, that I wanted to use mainly for my YouTube videos. Yep. Uh, 
but then uh, because I already I had it, uh, I found out it was kind of crap for video because it didn't have good autofocus uh, <laughs> for video. Uh, yeah. But I started I started taking photos with it, and uh, I really got into photography. Uh, and with that, now I uh, turned it back around to video, and I, I started making these vlogs where I uh, I'm trying to uh, make them look like visually nice and uh, get some nice shots and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I put a lot of heart into those, so I. Um, I'm I'm glad that uh, people do seem to be interested in them. Not as as interested as in my Star Wars videos, but I do get some views and uh, <laughs> some nice comments. So generally, it's all fan base. Pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, because like yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you, Tommy. I mean, like I I've got a I'm, I've got a passion for filmmaking and stuff. So you know, uh, and seeing you know you do it not only sort of gives me an insight as to how I should start doing something, but you know, yeah. just it's like a it's like a nice um. Uh, uh, parallel, I guess you'd say, but yeah, that's that's really great to see. Question. Yeah, so uh, my final question. So you've already given us your general overview and opinion of the prequel trilogy, which we think. But basically, um, now that the sequel trilogy has uh, recently wrapped up, uh, as someone who's taken like so long to go in depth with the original films, uh, we wanted to know what do you think of the sequels as a whole, and and like the direction that Disney has taken the Star Wars franchise post George Lucas and Lucasfilm era, uh, and maybe if you feel you could change something about it, what would it be? Yeah, well, I I was not a fan of uh, the uh, I can't even remember the name of the film. It was something stupid. Rise of Skywalker. Skywalker. <laughs> the last <laughs> one. Yeah, uh, I I quite enjoyed the Force Awakens. I thought it was uh, it was really well made, even though it was basically a remake of uh, of the original yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, uh, it was a very it was a really well made remake and it it had some uh good likable characters and then i actually quite enjoyed uh the last jedi as well uh we quite enjoyed but, last on this podcast yeah uh, but but the problem with the last jedi was it was uh an okay movie on its own but it it kind of ruined the the trilogy right uh because clearly they didn't have a game plan from the get-go uh so uh so then uh the last one was super crap but partly uh, w it was because of uh how the last jedi screwed up the <laughs> the storyline uh and they just didn't know what to do with it i think so yeah because no, i often say to michael you know i think the last jedi a lot of the time, I think the last Jedi. I enjoy Last Jedi, like you just said you did. Um, but in the, the way that you said, like you think it's a good movie, but it doesn't really fit well with the trilogy. Something that I always say, honestly, is I think that Last Jedi is a is a good film with like you know good overarching themes. It's a well written movie, but as a yeah. Star Wars movie, as a movie that's yeah. actually supposed to be part of a saga congruent with a bunch of other films, yeah. it really doesn't work. But, yeah. um, and yeah. I'm 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 completely on your uh, I'm completely on that train with you. I mean, I do also enjoy The Force Awakens, but Rise of Skywalker for me is really the one that I think, wow, what a mess. Yeah, <laughs> then, I, um, you know, The Force Awakens, I went to see five times in the theaters wow. because it did recapture oh, yeah. that Star Wars magic for me. Uh, yeah. So I, I was, I, yeah, I'm up there with you. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I, I was very excited to see it again. 
than The Last Jedi. I only saw once in the theater and then a couple of times on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. But The Rise of Skywalker, I saw once in theater and then never felt the need to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've only watched it more than once because, like, you know, just like I said, sort of like a passion project for me, not only filmmaking, but script writing. Yeah. You know, I've, I've sort of gone back and said, if I was making Rise of Skywalker, mm. what would I do instead? And that's why I've sort of gone back to it to sort of be like, okay, so this is when they went to that mm. for whatever reason. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and yeah, just for really analytical purposes. Yeah, so I've I yet to rewatch Rise of Skywalker um, a second time, but I think we're going to do it for when we talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we do sort of like a retrospective of like, you know, the, the of each one. Like, you know, I think it was about, we're up to Force Awakens now. So it was about six or so weeks ago we started with Phantom Menace. We sort of just went through them. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, we've, we've had pretty you know, uh, congruent thoughts on all of them. We have very similar views, Michael and I. Um, and I think the the sequels is when it sort of starts to diverge. So it should be interesting because they are so polarizing. Yeah. The yeah. Sequels. So, uh, yeah, because I was watching your, you know, your spoiler review of Rise of Skywalker mm. on your own YouTube channel. And yeah, I, I realized that, you know, a lot of the um, things that you thought about it were were similar to what we think is that it's, it's well performed. You know, yep. not, every time that there's someone in it, they're never doing a, a bad job and they're all beautifully made. And yep. but that's the thing is just but overall, they can be a bit messy. I think actually that's George Lucas's um, take as well is that he never really, you'll notice that if you, you reach for a comment on George Lucas about the sequel trilogy, he'll always say they're beautifully made and nothing else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a reason why I'd imagine. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn on where to put, uh, the sequel trilogy next to the prequel trilogy because like i i still think like they're the the sequel trilogy are better made films but the overarching storyline i guess is better in the prequels and the, it has more like it had more innovative ideas and stuff yeah. uh, and uh i the, i think the main problem with the prequels was that george lucas had too much power yeah uh, and uh, because in the uh, in the for the original trilogy, uh, he basically you know he wrote the script and directed the first one, but he had a lot of uh, he he had a lot of feedback from his friends on the script and also on the uh, on the editing. His wife, then Marsha Lucas, uh, basically re-edited the whole movie and. Uh, from from what I've read uh, and uh, seen, there is a video, a great video on YouTube about it. Um, she basically saved the original film in editing. Yeah, I think I've seen that um, video too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen tons of YouTube videos that, like, the title is just "How Star Wars Was Saved in Editing," and I believe that's happened more than once. Yeah, yeah. not just with the original, but with the prequels too. Because editing yeah. is such an important part of it. Yeah, it, it is totally. And uh, uh, and so he he. Uh, uh, he did listen to other people and uh, let them help. But then, uh, of course, for uh, Empire and Jedi, he basically just wrote the outline of the story and then had somebody else write the script, uh, which I think was a, a, and direct the film, which I think was a, a great way to do it because he's a great idea man, but he's not a great script writer. <laughs> Or director, and then and then for uh, for the prequels, he he had all this confidence and uh, power, uh, so nobody was gonna say no to him, uh, and that's why uh, 
I, I think, you know, with like a, a couple of more uh, drafts of the script and uh, somebody else directing, they could be with the same core story. They could have been great films, but uh, we got what we got, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because yeah. me and Jack grew up with the prequels. And so we've just yeah. like always known them. And so I think as we've gotten older, we've begun to like realize a lot of the things that like uh, people at the time would have criticized. But like mm-hmm. that overall like arcing story and especially the way it leads and sets up for a lot of things in the original trilogy, I think we always quite enjoyed. And yeah, so that overarching mm-hmm. script and like, as you said, the ideas in it are, are quite strong. Like that's what George Lucas does specialize yep. in. But like yep. you just go to the individual scenes in like Attack of the Clones where mm. there are just some interesting dialogue choices throughout the whole film. So, <laughs> yeah. Interesting is a word yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> yeah. it, it's hard to not concentrate. Um, it's, it's also very hard to not uh, laugh. Yeah, exactly. And I no. think, you know, if, if he gave this first draft of the script that he wrote and gave it to someone like Lawrence Kasdan, uh, who wrote the script for Empire, uh, then uh you know the, he would make the uh the dialogue better and the overall story could have worked like the romance if if it was better written could totally have worked oh boy. of course better directed yeah. uh because yeah. they had ab- Nobody... absolutely no chemistry and it just uh didn't work nope. at any level not a link yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean when you look at you know when you go back and watch documentaries like empire of dreams it's on disney plus and you get to see yeah. like how stressful the making of star wars was to the point where it put george in the hospital from stress yeah it, it makes a lot of sense why erwin kirshner and richard marquand handled the, the the sequels to star wars but yeah at the same time because when the prequels rolled around you can understand why he would take so much creative control but yeah. that in itself is a problem so yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's sort of uh, all the questions we had for you, Harmi. We thank you so much for uh, talking to us. Yeah. Is, is there anything else uh, you'd like to, to add? Or Michael, anything you'd like to say? Oh, no, definitely. It's I, I just love the idea that like Star Wars like, fan communities can come together and like our passion for Star Wars is so great that you've like created this whole thing yourself. That, as you said in the interview that you said so you showed to your baby brother for the first time that he was like to view Star Wars. You wanted to give him the genuine experience of watching the theatrical version. Like that's just so yeah. amazing. Like and it, and it it does kind of suck that like that Lucasfilm and Disney is like unwilling to like give people the thing that we want to preserve the original uh, version yeah. that everyone had. But I think it definitely does shine well on a community that sometimes can people be a bit critical of with just the Star Wars community. And uh, I think it does shine well that like they are able to come together and like you said, with you collaborating with using other people's mm. work on things that you might not be as experienced in to come together to make yeah. a product that Jack here in Australia like got and just absolutely loves and your brother has like, I think that's really, really awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. Thank you. And uh, yeah, and uh, you know, the effort efforts continue. So right now I actually uh, would recommend anyone who is looking for the original versions uh, for Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, we have the 4K 77 and 4K 83 versions. So if you're able to find those, uh, they are great. They they, they really uh, capture the experience of watching it in the theater because they're full yeah. uh, 5 millimeter scans. So there's no switching between different sources. And, uh, uh, and for my personal experience right now, I prefer watching those. Hmm. But uh, I guess the the specialized still has uh, its place uh, because uh, for for people like for modern audiences the the grainy look can be uh, kind of distracting. 
but I, I love watching the uh, the 4K 77 versions. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and there, no, I, I just uh, was saying this uh, based on what you said about the the fan community, mm. uh, because it's amazing where we uh, where we got from. In the beginning, we were doing laserdisc uh, captures. Yeah. And we got all the way to 4K uh, versions, you know, made from 35 millimeter film. So that's uh, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, it is really amazing. And you know, we have you and so many others to thank for that. And like, you know, you really hit the nail on the head, guys, when you said that you know future generations like your uh, brother Honey can now witness them in these in these versions. Like, I I have much older sisters, and I'll most likely be an uncle soon, and I'm going to be mm. able to you know show these these specialized editions to you know. I'm going to be able to show them that. And that's yeah. just something that is, yeah. it was, it was my first thought when I managed to get these copies for myself. And uh, it's so, uh, so gratifying. What else has been gratifying is the ability to talk to you. Pami. Uh, it's been a real pleasure for both yeah. Michael and I um, to, to talk to you. It's been really insightful as well um, to hear from, you know, the person who made them because it's always very interesting to, to hear a viewpoint like that. Um, and the, you, you are, you can find uh, Harmi at uh, Peter Harmi on YouTube and, uh, are you available and the same address on you know social media and stuff like that? Oh uh, yeah, I'm uh, Harmy P on Twitter. Uh, although I uh, I don't use Twitter very much. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think Harmy D specialized on YouTube. Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, we will we will uh, uh, put the links if you guys want to uh, have a crack at. Um, having a go at the despecialized edition yourself, those will be in, available in the link of the uh, the podcast episode. And uh, yeah, that wraps up our conversation. Again, thank you so much, Harvey, for talking to us. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, so been, much. it's been fantastic. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. It, it was a lot of fun. You're very welcome. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's morning over there, so enjoy your day. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye. All right, uh, that was our interview with uh, Peter Harmy Harmashek, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, thank you, uh, thank you for cool for joining us. It was we had such yeah. a good interview with you. Actually, I felt that conversation was actually like really insightful to like like one his filmmaking process, but like two, just I don't know. It was it was a lot of fun talking to him. He's such a nice guy. It was, you know, like, you know, when we had Trey on and we had Jack on, like, yeah. you know, just, you know, as friends to talk to. But this was the first time that we were, like, preparing questions to ask. And yeah, I sort of got nervous. Big, and, like, yeah, are these big. good questions? Like, this is literally the one, the, the thing that will make us, like, you know, we're journalists now, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely No, yeah. no, no, we're not good. journalists. Um, no, no, no. no, but yes, thank you guys thank so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed yeah. that i hope you guys enjoyed the episode uh the time codes for not only the news segment but our main discussion with harmy will be available in the script in the description like we were just talking about with uh harmy his the addresses for his social media and the links where you can have a crack at getting the despecialized for you for yourself they will be all available uh down below as well as the fact that we are available on social media instagram facebook twitter wherever you can find us uh we will be there for our updates and uh yeah links to the episode itself um, yeah, make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, do whatever you need to to stay up to date with us. Next week, I think we should we'll be talking about Paul's Awakening. Yeah, as part yeah. of our retrospective, exactly. um, which which should be fun because Michael and I have you know uh, somewhat contrasting views on it, and it should make for a good uh, discussion. We'll have lots to talk yeah. about, definitely. Yeah, we will have lots to talk about. Um, and yeah, that's it, guys. I hope you really have enjoyed this week. I know I did, and definitely. I know Michael did. So yeah. yeah, may the force be with you always, guys. This has been Tell telling me. the odds.